This message comes from NPR sponsor Xfinity. Some things are slow, like snail races. Other things are fast, like Xfinity XFi. Get fast speeds, even when everyone is online. Working to make Wi-Fi simple, easy, awesome. More at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. So you probably heard about the Chicago teachers' strike. All throughout the city, schools are closed, teachers are on strike. We were talking about it. And uh, we found ourselves getting stuck in a sentence like this. Like, the Chicago teachers are striking. It's been decades since they last striked, struck, strank. Jesse Scheidlauer is the editor of the OED. Jesse, what do we say? Struck. Struck? Yes. Okay, so that's all it is. That's all it is. The past tense of strike is struck in every sense. Uh, you know, some people do say striked, but, uh, but that's, well, usually regarded as wrong. But see, I, I don't think I would ever, my brain would never want to say, uh, you know, I, I strike this with my hammer, I striked it with my hammer. I would never want to do that. But when talking about people going on strike, people striking, uh, right. that, the word has changed somehow. Well, the reason, the explanation of that is that it's common for, for this process to happen more with, with metaphorical or, or non-literal senses. So, for example, and, and this is something that's been talked about a lot in the last 20 years or so, uh, everyone would acknowledge that the plural of mouse uh, in the sense of a small furry critter uh, is mice. But there's a lot of discussion about whether the plural of a computer mouse is mouses or mice. Uh, and this goes for a lot of things. For, for, the, for the same exact same form, uh, the plural of louse, uh, in the sense of a small bug, uh, is always lice. But if you were talking about a group of people who behaved badly, you might say, you know, a couple of louses. Uh, so, uh, so it's, again, it's the same thing here. The you know, you would always say, I struck it with a hammer. But when you're when you get into more figurative senses, you're more likely to use it in a um, you know, to use the regularized form. Sure. You you talked about the uh, the sort of strike uh, as a figurative use. Do you mm-hmm. do you know where that came about? Wh- why we say strike when people decide they're not going to work? Uh, that sense actually has a really interesting history. Um, it's a seven. It's an 18th century uh, use, and it refers originally to the act of of taking down a sail. As, you know, to strike to strike a sail would be to to lower the sail of a ship, uh, and when when sailors refused to work, you know this you know they would you know literally strike the sails, uh, you know so that the ship couldn't go. Uh, and this sense became used broadly of, of anyone refusing to continue work. So you know to you know, to agree to not work, you know you would strike in the broad sense, not to strike the sails, but you would simply strike. To think that all these people are doing this right now in Chicago with probably no sense of the nautical heritage of their behavior and what they're doing. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, it's not that widely known. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Mike, and I'm Ian. There's this new book out about the SEAL Team Six raid on Osama bin Laden's compound. And one of the many things we learned from this book is that if the raid hadn't gone as planned, if they'd been caught or something else happened, they had a cover story in place. And we wanted to hear more about this practice of, of generating cover stories. Uh, so on the line with us now is our favorite Navy SEAL, Chris Heben. Probably our only Navy SEAL. Uh, our favorite, either way. Now, Chris is actually on a mission right now in Africa, or so he says. So, Chris, what are you up to? 
Well, you know, I can't give you much detail, but I do have a cover story that I can share with you. Uh, interestingly enough, All right. the cover story is that I'm I'm on a humanitarian mission, and we're bringing government technology to bear and putting it to to good use from a, a humanitarian standpoint. Okay, humanitarian, yeah, and technology. Yes. I mean, I guess I believe that. Technology. So how far how far does that cover story go? Do you have, like, business cards? Actually, actually, I do. We, we certainly do. We have business cards and titles and uh, a budget and budget constraints. <laughs> and that's actually quite, quite elaborate. Wow. Can you tell us what your job title is uh, in your cover? I'm a consultant. <laughs> I assume anybody that tells me they're a consultant is doing something else anyway. Yeah. Well, you, you know, guys, we really are. The, the, the mission I'm on right now is, is it actually is a global, globally significant. And, you know, I really can't divulge what it is right now, but things will be um, overt and very apparent by March of 2013. I guarantee it. Oh man. Okay, so we're gonna read about this in yeah. the paper next spring. You're gonna read. You're gonna read about it in the paper. You're gonna. You'll. You'll see a lot of this story. I mark my words. Well, yeah. so so you know, we wanted to talk to you about. Uh, we had heard that the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound, that had had things not gone to plan, that they had this cover story that they were just, I guess, cleaning up a drone crash. Are you, are you familiar with this? Yes. There's always a cover story or a contingency plan. It's, you know, if A, then C, if B, then D. You, the cover story you use depends on how the initial uh, operation goes. If it's very successful, then the cover story isn't even enacted. So can you think, can you give us an example of a cover story that you almost used or you would have used if things hadn't worked out the way they're supposed to? Well, sure. Um, I can give you a, a real-world example. Uh, in 2003, when that the eastern seaboard was shut down, remember when the whole grid collapsed? You guys remember that was 2003, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the word put out was that you know it was because of the hot temperature that the, the power grid got shut down because things were overloaded. That's okay. absolute horse crap. What? The, the real story is that 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 some dumbass in a uh, military intelligence aircraft hit the wrong switch as they flew from North Carolina to Maine and basically zapped the whole power grid down with an electronic uh, countermeasure device. So that's the that was the cover story for that. Oh, the power grid shut down because of attacks on the system due to hot weather and people running their air conditioning is too high. This was the blackout uh, so, you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's that. That was a, a, a good cover story. Uh, personally, most of the guy, all the guys that I worked with uh, in the SEAL teams had cover stories for an operation. You had a cover story for the general operation, like they used in in you know, the Bin Laden thing with respect to a drone needing needing to uh, get scraped off the ground. But you also had an individual cover story. If I had to to you know, beat feet and run for my life and escape. My cover story was that I was a, you know, a, a Canadian doctor or a French doctor because I, I, you know, I speak perfect French and I have a lot of medical experience. So that was always my cover story. And you get what's called a blood chit. A blood chit is 
a map of the area and surrounding areas with some of the best routes to take, and not best because of the quickest or fastest or shortest, because of the least dangerous. And on that piece of paper with the map, there's some rudimentary language um, translations, and there's also a few gold bullion taped to it. So you can literally buy your way out of trouble. Why is it called a blood shit? Uh, because it, 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 it ensures that you get returned safely. Like it'll say in the language of the region, it'll say uh, the person who brings this, who aids this, this person's um, safe passage will be rewarded X amount of money. Please take these gold coins as a guarantee for that. So they kind of do. They kind of bait the people with with a couple gold coins and lets them know they're serious. And if they take you to safety using you know underground channels and and, and quick channels, they'll be rewarded even more once they get you back. So uh, thinking thinking more, you you talked about your kind of individual cover story, and then missions have cover stories too. Can you talk? Uh, I don't know if you can talk about it, but uh, about a mission you were on and what you had. Uh, maybe plan to tell people if it hadn't gone well. Well, you know what? I'll give you. I'll give you a great example that's very broad but very common, uh, especially when you when you look at groups that are more on the black side of of operations like SEAL Team Six, like Delta Force. Um, the footwear we wear is not footwear that's worn by any person in the U.S. military. It's not issue. The weapons we use are not U.S.-issued weapons. Maybe they're Soviet bloc weapons. Maybe they're, you know, made in Romania. Maybe uh, the clothes that we wear, there's no markings on them. They're not made in the USA. There's no tags that say made by, you know, Joe Schmo company that's contracted to the Department of Defense out of, you know, Marietta, Georgia. So your, your uniforms are sterilized. Your footwear is non-traditional. Your weapons you use are non-traditional. So your footprints don't leave an American signature. Bullet casings on the ground from a fired weapon don't leave an American signature. If any clothes snag on a branch or you have to leave a shirt behind or whatever, it's either not a, a uniform that an American service person would wear, but there's no tags to indicate it was made in the U.S. So a lot of what those organizations do is deceptive and in in and of itself a a cover story of sorts that's that whole plausible deniability you know admit nothing deny everything and make counter accusations i mean that's that's part of our warrior ethos (laughs) so chris as someone who then routinely has to have a cover story are you good at identifying somebody who's using a cover absolutely really Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I can tell another spec ops dude right away. We've all kind of got this inherent swagger to us. And you can always tell when someone's using a cover story. As a matter of fact, you don't even try to tr- to, to uh, debunk it. You just go with it, and you can appreciate it. Matter, matter of fact, some, if anything, you try. You ask them questions to see how elaborate they can take. How they can go with it. <laughs> where, where can they take it? So really, so you'll be like hanging out, and like a Delta guy will walk in, and you'll totally peg him. <laughs> And then you'll just kind of needle yeah. him? Yeah. Like, hey, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we're on the uh, South African golf tour. I'm one of the caddies for blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh, really? What kind of club does he use on the, on that, uh, on the ninth hole when it's a 375-yard par three? And you just kind of see you know, <laughs> how deep can he lay on the BS, you know? So, hey, uh, hey Chris, I, I was thinking I, I yeah. wanted to say to you, um, 
you know, as we wrap up here, good luck and stay safe out there. And I, I, I wonder, do you guys have like something you, you say to each other when you're headed out on a mission? So like a seal well, equivalent. You know, we of, we yeah. usually say, look at each other and say, don't, don't F up. You know, <laughs> don't F up. It's pretty, pretty simple. We, we like to kid about our own demise and we like to, we're, we're true cut ups and jokers, except for when the operation goes down, guys lock in, you'll see them flip a switch. And it's, you know, they're the consummate professionals. They get the job done. Well, don't F up. Yeah, don't F up, Chris. Perfect. All okay. right, guys. Hey, have a great day. All right, take care, yeah. Chris. So uh, about that, the, the blackout story that Chris told, we, we wanted to check into it. So we reached out to the Air Force for a response. This is what they had to say. We have no information on the root cause of the 2003 blackout to which you refer, and absolutely no indication that it was related to any aircraft activity. So, there you go. Hey, how to do everything? You guys know that feeling you get when you hear a new song that you just love? What about a new movie or a new book or a TV show? There's so much new stuff out there that it's getting harder and harder to find that new favorite thing. I'm Jesse Thorne. My show, Bullseye, points to the good stuff in culture, the kind of stuff that will change your life. I talk in-depth with comedians like Louis C.K., actors and actresses like Lisa Kudrow, and filmmakers from Judd Apatow to Werner Herzog. Plus, every week, I talk to critics from the AV Club, Boing Boing, all over. They come on the show to tell you about their favorite new stuff. It's Bullseye with me, Jesse Thorne. Subscribe for free in iTunes or find it online every week at MaximumFun.org. That does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I learned that the word uh, that, that strike, when we say I'm going on strike, it's, a, it's an old nautical term. Do you think, what if we replaced all of the Chicago teachers that are on strike with sailors? They can come in and teach the kids. Teach our children. Well, I, I would foresee that our children would uh, be especially strong in the subjects of identifying clouds. Mm-hmm. I think that um, they would fall behind in, say, spelling mm-hmm. uh, or shaving is another one. that. Yeah, I think what ha- there's a trade-off. I think your uh, swabbing scores go way up. I think your vitamin C scores just go, they plummet. Hey, so next week, we are going to be in Atlanta doing our other radio show. And we were thinking it would be fun to try and meet up with some of you that, that weren't able to come to Chicago for our meetup. So we're going to be at the Cypress Street Pint. We don't know much about it other than it's close to where we're staying. We'll be there from 7 to 8 o'clock. On Wednesday, September 19th. 7 to 8, Cypress Street Pint. It's a little early, maybe, but we have, we have a lot to do. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Hega with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week, once again, we have no intern. It's Hannah for a third week. Yeah, our maybe our, our longest serving intern. You're doing great, Hannah. Keep it up. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And check out our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.